you would please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from 1 Peter as we are nearing the end of uh, this study through the book of 1 Peter. We just have two sermons left in it. We're in chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 19, the end of the chapter. It's uh, in your Bible as well as in the, the bulletin if you don't have your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. This is God's word to us this morning. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you have share of Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, quote, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, unquote? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Please join me in prayer. Father, we ask that you would continue to do the work of your grace that began with the creation of the world and covenanting with your son to redeem a people and accomplishing that through sending of your son to redeem us from our sins and raising him from the dead and now working the gospel throughout the world and calling saints to yourself. Continue to sanctify us, open up our eyes and understanding to grasp this reality and these truths, to be excited about what is before us, to be prepared for the challenges before us, and to glorify you more in your goodness and grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This is, uh, first thing you might notice is that it's a very interesting passage because of the, the, the dichotomy here where you have Suffering is the main thing. You're going to suffer. But then you see right mixed in with it, the, the reality that Peter says, you're, you should rejoice. You should rejoice. And he concludes it with saying, do good. There is this uh, contrast here of this suffering and joy that doesn't normally come hand in hand in our daily lives or in uh, what the world thinks. You have to understand that as Peter is writing this, he's actually dictating it. So we know in the very last section of Peter that he has a scribe named Silvanus that's writing this down. And I just picture Peter walking in a room and he's thinking about this and he's he's dictating this 16-minute letter. And Peter gets an individual in his mind. And in this section, he starts to talk to that individual. And that individual is somebody who has sacrificed 
all and is following Christ and they're suffering. And they're saying, why am I suffering? This is who Peter is talking to. I have in my mind maybe a young lady who was raised in a family, had nothing to do with God. She had her other idols, her other gods, and her whole family was saturated in this faith. But somehow she heard the gospel through the preaching of a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And she heard and she believed. And because of this new faith that she has in Christ and that she's had to turn away from the other gods and worshiping the other gods. And she has said Christ alone is Lord. She's maybe lost her job. She's been ostracized by her family. In that culture, maybe there's not a man who's going to marry her which will send her into a life of poverty and of public shame. And she's saying, why? Why is this happening to me? This doesn't make sense. I've, I've chosen the right way. I've chosen the right path. I've made the good choice. Why? And just to clarify, this is a suffering that is the result of faith in Christ. Scripture is very clear that God uses we are going to suffer various trials for cancer, uh, hurricanes, difficulty with government or friends. But this is specifically talking about your faith in Christ bringing on suffering. We know that because it talks in this, these few verses about uh, sharing in the sufferings of Christ, being insulted for the name of Christ, being called Christian, which actually was a slur. Back in the day, it was a slur put down to this community of people, uh, much like we would use a common slur today. It was a negative thing, but the, the Christians took it and owned it. Yes, Christ is our Lord. I am a Christian. I follow him. But that, in a sense, makes it very even more difficult. Because I am following Christ, and I'm suffering for it. And actually, there seems to be that God is adding to my suffering for following him, for confessing his name. And I use the word God is adding to it because scripture is clear that God is in control of everything. Everything. There is not one area of the world that God is not in control of. He's not ever on the rebound. He's not, not ever, he's never just reacting to things happen. He's moving all the pieces. And we know that God is not the author of evil. God hates evil. God could not be God if he, if he was the one that acted on evil, and yet he controls evil. Even in our passage, verse 19, it says, let those who suffer according to God's will. Meaning your suffering that you're going through, your persecution, Peter being crucified was according to God's will. James's head being cut off was according to God's will. The, the necks of Christians being slit was according to God's will that he was in control of. And that is confusing. That causes us to ask, what really is taking place here? Uh, we have turned to Christ, and now we are, we've turned to Christ, we've turned to God who sent Christ, and God controls all things, and yet I'm suffering more for it. That doesn't make sense. There's this, uh, that's who Peter's talking to. 
that's the person that he has in mind. And I have in mind, as I prepared this, and I think would be helpful for you, picture like a young college student who this college student was raised in a different religion, a false religion, a religion that was based on works and doing certain things. And the closer you did those things and the more works that you did, the more you would be reconciled to God, the more you would be received by him. And this faith that they were a part of had their whole society and their own way about themselves, and they didn't mix with others that were outside of themselves. But this young college student left that family naturally uh, to go to college and in college again like this girl 2,000 years ago heard the gospel message and confessed their faith in Christ and now is ostracized by their family. And so I picture this young man sitting across from me at my desk in my office and he's sitting there and he's saying, Jeremiah, what is going on? Why am I suffering so much? What is God doing? Why is, is, is he allowing my family to turn their back on me? They've withdrawn them helping me out with my college tuition. Why all this difficulty if I am following God? And as I hear him and I see him in my mind's eye sitting across from him, my heart is like Peter where I feel for him. I am sorry you have to suffer. But being 20 years down the road, I'm also so encouraged. I'm so excited for him. Because I've been a Christian long enough and I've, I've seen the scriptures that God has revealed that Suffering doesn't mean God turning his back upon you. Suffering is a tool that God used to sanctify you. And I look at this young man as you might look like at somebody who comes to your business that you work on and it's their first day on the job and they're green and they don't know what's ahead of them and you do. You look and you say, I kind of know what's ahead of you. But in this situation, you say, I'm excited for you because I know he who began a good work in you God who has started the work in, it, in you will complete it. And I know as you go through these difficult seasons and these valleys, they're only going to strengthen you and build you up. And so that's what Peter is doing. Peter has been going through this passage and teaching them about suffering. And at this second, he's really focusing on suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so this sermon is just unpacking uh, what God is doing in our suffering. Uh, first, we see that sufferings, the sufferings that you endure, God is using to mature you. The sufferings that you're enduring, God is using to mature you. He says in here, verse 12, don't be surprised by it. It's here to test you. He says, it comes upon you to test you. That's the same as we've heard, and, and my wife has made clearly well known to me that we've been talking about suffering a lot. So we're going to move on to a, a, another book uh, here shortly. But Peter hasn't let it go because it's part of their life, and it's part of your life, and it's part of my life. And Peter in the beginning was saying, he even went on, he says, you rejoice in the gospel, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be revealed. It's a purifying action that's taking place in our lives. My son recently started football this summer, and in the beginning of practice, uh, the season, they did 
uh, three-hour practices, these long, grueling practices. And they just, the coaches beat up these young guys. And it was hot out there, and they kept them going. And anytime they'd mess up, you'd say, hit the flagpole, and they'd have to sprint to the flagpole and back. Why do they start out so hard? Because he's maturing them. He's molding them. He's sanctifying them by the difficulty that they are in. A father might see a young son uh, riding his bike, and he falls. And the mom's there, and she wants to race towards the child and, and help him up because he's crying. And the dad might say, hold on, let, let him learn. Let him rise up. Let him endure this challenge so it may strengthen him. I look at this young man, and I see in my mind that, that Peter's talking to, and, and I see God is preparing you for eternity. God is taking you through trials. God has scheduled a practice for you that is a live drill. It's going to include sickness. It's going to include finances. It's going to include difficulties with neighbors. It's going to include all these scenarios in your world because he is preparing you for eternity. And I think right here is one of the big issues that you and I struggle with and I think the church at large can struggle with is because we're being bombarded with a misunderstanding of what God is doing. We've been given a very short-term perspective and a false narrative about what God's will is. See, the prosperity gospel, or I'll call it national Christendom, is declaring to you that the message that God has for us is that through Jesus Christ and God's will for us is that we may have all the blessings now, right now. At your doorstep, delivered to us. Healing. You have pain, God wants healing. He doesn't want pain in your life. You have financial difficulties, God wants to bless you. He wants to bless your finances threefold so you don't suffer. God does not want opposition in your life. Christ is a king and you are a conqueror in him. Therefore, he wants to take land now. He wants to take victory now. And that's the message. Now. God wants to bless me now. And it's a very short-sighted picture, and it's a very contrary picture to the message that we have in the Scriptures. And so there's a lot of people that have this doctrine and this understanding and are hearing these teachings that God has come, and He loves you, and yes, He does, and He's blessed you, and yes, He has. And the fruit of that, this is where they go wrong, is that it's going to happen now. And so when fiery trials come upon them, how do they respond? How do we respond? We're surprised. What's going on? Uh, there is a teaching in, in, in Scripture that... Um, the teaching in Scripture does declare that we are blessed. It does declare that God has comforted us. He's rewarded us, and that we right now can have comfort and assurance in our hearts and our minds and our spirits, but it's in our hearts and our minds and our spirits regardless of the earthly circumstance. It's regardless of what's going on around us, the blessings of Christ, and they are real blessings. They're not secondhand blessings of peace and of assurance and of joy are ours right now, but as Paul says in Acts chapter 14, he says, we must go through many difficulties 
before entering the kingdom of God. We must go through many difficulties before entering the kingdom of God. Even there in chapter 1, when Peter is first telling them about the trials, he's saying you're going to go through trials so it tests, it matures your faith so that you may rejoice at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning at the time when Jesus Christ comes, you're going to be prepared. God is going to be done working on you. But this is going to come to its fullness then. Peter goes on in chapter, verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, Therefore, knowing that God has blessed you in Jesus Christ, forgiven you, and is shaping you. We talked about this. He says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Understand this reality. And this is the point. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. He says, as Christians, we are not just thinking about next week. We're not just thinking about a year from now. We're not just thinking about when the kids grow up. We're not just thinking about when we retire. We are thinking in an eternal perspective, a long term. And he says, this is where your mind needs to be set, on the long-term perspective. And if you understand that, you're not going to be surprised by the trials that you know are going to be coming now. You're not going to be perplexed when God doesn't answer every prayer for healing, for protection in your life now. You're going to understand that this is, this is a football practice. This is hard. This is difficult. You're in the throes of it. We, we have young kids right now. Half the battle is just accepting that. That for the next 5, 10 years, it's going to be hard. I can't expect my life to look like I, I, I'm an empty nester. This is a time for us to just grasp the reality of it. I, as I was reading through and looking at a commentator talking about these passages, one commentator kept saying, uh, here's the consolation. Here's the consolation. And here's another consolation. And God is gracious to give us this consolation. Do you know what the word consolation means? It means uh, giving comfort to somebody who is suffering. And that's what this passage is in here. Peter is giving consolation to this person that he has in his mind who is suffering. He's saying, I'm sorry for your suffering. But here's something that should comfort you. And it's not, I'm going to change your suffering. And it's not, I'm going to change your circumstance. And it's not, I'm going to make this all go away. And here's the twist. He says, and we'll go through those consolations in, in a minute. Here's the twist. He says, actually, also what you have, this suffering, is a reason to rejoice. There's a reason to rejoice in the suffering that you are going through. Peter has uh, himself gone through suffering, hasn't he? It, Peter was a normal guy like any one of us. Had a family. Had a wife, had a mother-in-law, had a house, had a job. And all that was upended when he started to follow this Jesus who worked these amazing wonders and seemed like he was bringing in a whole new realm. And maybe this was time for Israel to overcome Rome and take their land and restore a king on the throne that was honest and worshiping God. And then what happens? After Peter has sacrificed all that, his king dies. 
It's all taken away from him. But the good news is Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And Peter now goes throughout the land, and, and this is about 30 years, 20, 30 years after Christ's resurrection, and he has done what? He's preached the gospel, but he's suffered greatly. He's lost friends. He's been ostracized. He's been away from home. He's had hardships. He's failed in his leadership and had to be rebuked and restored. So Peter himself has suffered. And Pete, Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And he looks at this green Christian. When I say green Christian, that's another term to say new, young, immature. Doesn't matter age. Just somebody that's maybe new to the faith. And he's writing to these green Christians and he's saying, you don't understand it now, but I do and you're going to be okay. And God's doing a work on you. I sat in the dentist chair uh, in the dentist office this past week watching one of my boys get a baby root canal. And how helpless do you feel? Their feet are twitching and it's just, you know, that sound of that pain and you remember being in the chair and having the drill on you and you're just, you're helpless. But I also knew it was going to be okay. And he needed to go through it. He needed to endure it. And it was going to end. And that's what Peter is like with us. That's what a mature Christian is like to young Christians. I know you're suffering. I know it's uncomfortable. But it's not wasted. It's not for not. It's part of the process. It's like physical therapy taking place. Suffering is a tool that God has for you. In verse 13, he, he says this. You need to actually rejoice in it because when you partake of suffering for Christ's name, you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. You are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. What a strange term. In what way does he say that we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ? Did, was Christ suffering the nails and the, and the beatings and the ridicule and the crucifixion? Was it not enough? Oh, it was plenty enough. Enough that every evil sin that you and I have committed or anybody else on the plan that has committed may be redeemed and forgiven and ushered into an eternity of reconciliation and blessing with God forever. It was enough. But what is still left for the gospel to go to the ends of the world? This good reconciliation message to go to the ends of the world. And as God sent Jesus into the world to redeem the world, so Christ sends us, his believers, into the world. And guess what's going to happen when we take the name of Christ into the world? Suffering. So that is what we partake of. And uh, we, we, we don't just partake in, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something that Christ also did. I'm partaking of Christ myself in the suffering. I'm experiencing him. We watched a, a, a movie just this week. And there was, it was a comedy, and there was a family relative who had been gone, and he comes back, and he's reconciled with this family member. But the tragedy is that uh, this family member's parents had both died in a horrific car incident. And this family member comes back, and, and he's sitting down, and he's looking at uh, his relative that he had just met for the first time, and he's saying, I'm so sorry, we are family. Tell me everything about the car crash. Tell me everything. How did they die? How long were they? It, it, was, it was 
a comedy. So he was, but he was basically saying, let me know every single detail that they experienced and you experienced. Because he goes on to say this, therefore, we, I will carry the burden with you. We will carry the burden together. And in the same way, when we partake of the sufferings of Christ for the proclamation and standing with Christ, we bear the burden with Christ. Not in a way of, of, of our burden is not a reconciliation burden, but it's a burden that our eyes are open to the lostness of those who are out there. And, and, and even more so than that, to the sacrifice of Christ. To what Christ has done. When we see how far Christ went for us. We are united. We hear his story. We experience his story. We feel some of the suffering that he has gone through. And we are united and drawn to him. Paul says that doesn't he in Philippians. When Paul is talking about. When he came to realize. That his own works. Were never going to reconcile him to Christ. He said the old way I used to be right with God was by obedience to law, but I could never be perfectly obedient. And then I discovered a righteousness that is from God. It is Christ Jesus. And his obedience counted as mine. And Paul says in Philippians, doesn't he? He says, I count all my own works as rubbish to know Christ, to have righteousness through faith. And then he goes on, having received that faith, he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is not saying, I have work to do for my salvation. Paul is saying, I want to know this Savior. I want to know Jesus. He who has died for me, he who has humbled himself to the point of death, and the way that you come to know Jesus, the way that God has created it, is through sharing in his sufferings. And what it does is it doesn't say, okay, I'm carrying some of the weight, I'm doing my load. No, it says, I can't believe you did this for me. Listen to our Westminster Shorter Catechism talks about this. It says, in what way was Christ humbled? In what way was he made low? And it says this. He was made low in the fact that he was born. He was God. He wasn't limited by uh, hands and arms and, and lungs that, that burn when you try and climb a mountain. He was God. And, and not only was he born into humanity, which is, do not think highly of ourselves, folks. We are only greater than the trees because God had said so. He was born in a low condition, not of kings and, and princes. He was born to poor people, to the ostracized, to the weak. And even physically, he was born with a body that was nothing to look at. The Westminster Confession goes on and says he was born under the law. He put himself in subjection to God's law. He was, he under, I love this, he underwent all the miseries of this life. The, the theologians that have gone before us and looked at life, you know how they define it? It's a bunch of misery. It's difficult. It's hard. Hunger, thirst, want, coldness. And Christ submitted himself to that. He submitted himself to the wrath of God. 
to the punishment, all the way to the point they say being cursed on the death on the cross, he endured for us, and he continued under the power of death for a season, for a time. Do you see what Christ has done for us? We, you hear of Prince William over in England going and, and feeding a, uh, getting in line and feeding soup at a, a, a homeless shelter. Christ became homeless. You see celebrities going to the hospital to sign autographs for the sick. Christ became sick for us and died for us. The work is complete. The work is amazing. Jesus is amazing. And our suffering for his sake unites us to him. And therefore, Peter says, listen, there's not another training course. There's not another program that you are going to come to understand Christ in this way except through the process of suffering for his namesake. And you come, and that's why he says, rejoice in this, because it is maturing us. So when I read this, there comes to a point in my life, and I'm sure in, in some people's lives here, that we need to repent of our groaning and our complaining and our self-pity that says, why are you making me go through this? Because as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we, we realize why did, the reality is, I do deserve this, but why did he go through it? That's the crazy thing. Not that we suffer. We deserve suffering when we are confronted with the reality of our sin, how we treat our neighbor, how we treat God, how we don't trust him, how we're so quick to forget about him and neglect him. But Christ, why did he suffer? He was perfect. He was God. He wasn't even human. His hands were actually clean of this situation. And yet, because of God, the Father's great love for us, the Father, when the Father said, I need somebody to go, Christ said, I will go. And he humbled himself for us. He suffered for us that we might only suffer for a season, but the eternal suffering has been done away with. We've been reconciled to God. You and I are walking record of sin but we are not counted as sinners we are as orphans but we are not orphans we are children of God the father because of Christ and Peter says your suffering that you go through that is temporary draws you into that draws you into Christ and you mature in him so the first consolation is that I know it's bad, but it's maturing you. The second consolation and second point is that suffering for the name of Christ is evidence that you are his. It is actually evidence that you are his. He says, uh, um, verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It is evidence of it. Uh, Paul says in Timothy, he says, if you want to live a godly life, if you are going to follow Christ, you will suffer. You will suffer. I look at this young man who's sitting across me in this illustration in my mind who, who, who's coming and saying, why is this happening to me for following God? And I look at him and I think, man, you are so blessed. 
You are so blessed. I, I read this article about Warren Buffett, the financial guru, who, when he was given a speak, talked to, uh, to this group of heavy hitters, smart men and women that are great at investment, making decisions. And he said, listen, part of my success is really that I, I won the ovarian lottery. Have any of you heard him say that? It, it means part of my success is simply I won the lottery of where I was born and when I was born. Because if you took Warren Buffett and you put him in some other context and some other time, he wouldn't ha- even have the opportunity. And he's saying, out of, and think about this, out of 8 billion people on the planet, have you ever considered how blessed you are that you have even lived, that you even live in a place where you hear the gospel? Let alone are free to worship the gospel? Let alone can read the gospel? Let alone uh, have the gospel in your own language? I know you're suffering. I'm sorry for your suffering. You are so blessed. This is, comes from Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 in Sermon on Mount. The Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake. This is how they treated the prophets before you. We are show, short-term minded. As I, I said again in, in, in this understanding that... Um, The Bible speaks of eternity, doesn't it? The Bible starts before the world even began. In the beginning was God. And the Bible takes us all through the Old Testament. It takes us into the present. But it even goes further into eternity. We will dwell with him forever. And you and I think about days, weeks, months, years. This pain in my arm. this, this The time I got stiffed by the bank. We think so short term, but if you start looking big term, our life is a, a, a mist. It's a vapor. But for some reason, this piece of sand and the numerous pieces of sands, my life and the numerous pieces of sands that cover the seashore, God has said, I want you for eternity. God has said that to you. I don't care if you're missing an arm. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, he, Peter is saying, in the scheme of things, there's a lot more besides the 70, 90 years that we might have on this earth. I don't care if you are like Lazarus in the parable where you are outside the gate and you have sores on your body that the dogs are licking. If you have Christ, you are blessed. You will have a new body. You will live forever. Look at the picture. He, he goes on to say, uh, this is where he's talking about, listen, it is evidence. He says, because the Spirit of God rests upon you. He says, you are blessed if they persecute you because they're persecuting you because the Spirit of God rests upon you. Verse 17, he tells them, he says, for the time of judgment is here and it begins with the household of God. And he goes on to say, so he's saying, the time of judgment is here. What time is that? This time in our reality right now is a time of God pruning Christians, sharpening us through difficulty, maturing us. It's the picture of gold being refined by, by fire. It's, for us, it's a refining judgment. For others, he's setting them up for eternal judgment and separation. Because here, and he's, what he's saying to us in this passage 
He says, it's bad for you, but it's not nearly as bad for those who don't know Christ. Verse 17, it's the time for judgment to begin at the household of God, the church of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I want you to hear this. Peter is able to look at those who suffer in this world and say, there is consolation for you. But if you do not have Christ, there is no consolation for your suffering now. There is only more suffering to come. And this is taken from the idea of Ezekiel chapter 9, where it declares Ezekiel is in the Old Testament. And Ezekiel is an amazing book, and it's wild. It's full of dreams and imagery. And God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he's speaking to us through his prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has this dream, and he's taken into this uh, Jerusalem. And he is shown by God all the idolatry and the evil in the city of Jerusalem taking place by the leaders. Because God is saying, this is why I'm going to destroy the temple. This is why I'm going to exile my people. And he shows them that they're worshiping idols, that they're bowing down to the sun god. The priests were bowing down. They were making carven images. And so God comes to Ezekiel and he brings them into the city and hear the account. Uh, Ezekiel says, I cried, I heard in a cry in my ears with a loud voice. God said, bring near the executioners to the city. Put in their hands destroying weapons. And Ezekiel saw six men coming from the direction of the upper gate in the city. And they had weapons of slaughter in their hand. And it says, verse 3, now the glory of God of Israel started to depart the city. And it rested on the house. It was leaving the city. God's blessing was leaving the city. This was his people, just like this creation is his creation. But they were found in rebellion against him. And God says, I will endure for a season, but there's a time of judgment, a time where I will not endure any longer. And so God calls the executioners, and he starts to remove his spirit. And the Lord said to these executioners, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, starts with God's house. And put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed within it. Because within the house of God, there were very few that still loved God, rejected evil. Because God had marked them out. And he says, put a mark on their heads. But the rest of you pass through the city and strike them. Kill the old men outright. Kill the young men. Kill the maidens, the little children, the women. But do not touch those who have the mark. And so he's basically saying, my judgment is going to come. And it's going to come upon all except for those who have a mark on them. Now, the mark is not some dash. It's not a tattoo or something that God puts. We see in the New Testament, the mark is the Holy Spirit that seals us for redemption. And he's saying, listen, what happened to Israel is a microchasm of the great thing that God is doing throughout all of history. He's coming to judge. And it's awful. There's no consolation for those who do not put their faith in Christ. But he says this later on in Ezekiel. For those whom God has put the mark on. For you, Christian, who might be suffering. And it seems like God has turned away from you. And doesn't look out for you. 
But if he has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and all the perfect work Christ has done and forgiven you, he has marked you with his Holy Spirit. And he says this, God himself says this, Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. This is from Ezekiel. As a shepherd seeks out the flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds. And I will bring them from the outer places and I will bring them in to their own land. I will seek the lost and I will bring them back. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. This is yours if you're in Christ Jesus. This is yours because God has chosen to reveal himself to you. He has given you his spirit through the preaching and the hearing of the gospel that it's not on you, it's on Jesus. It's been laid on Jesus. He has humbled himself and made himself nothing that we might become the children of God and therefore rejoice in your suffering because that's evidence that you have the mark of the spirit on you. And as Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It is not something to be fearful of. It is something to rejoice. To wrap this up, the idea here is the idea that we as Christians are going to have great difficulty. When, when you take the name of Jesus and you teach the reality of the name of Jesus, you're going to have difficulty. And we need to endure it. And we can endure it because Christ himself endured it for us. Here's a caveat. This was a hard passage to read because the reality is I've never suffered for being a Christian. One time I was in the Navy and it all ranks on seniority and we would fly. I was a helicopter rescue swimmer and, and search and rescue guy. So we did land search and rescue and water search and rescue. And we had seven helicopters on the aircraft carrier and we went into Iraq and we'd provide top cover for uh, U.S. forces and other forces. And I want, everybody wanted to go in. I mean, that's, that's where the action was at. That's what you wanted to do. And it all ranked on seniority. And I was the very last guy at the bottom in seniority to be able to go in. And I would have gone in for a couple months and had a, a crew that I was a part of and got to do these missions. My chief comes to me and he says, Jeremiah, I'm letting Chavez go. Chavez was the next guy underneath me. I was, I said, what are you talking about? What's going on? He said, honestly, bro, you're a Christian, and, and there's been questions. Are you going to be willing to pull the trigger and cover my back if we have an enemy? And we talked about it, We just don't think that you will. And he said, you've got a Bible study going here on the ship. I think you'd be better off staying here. Honestly, I wasn't too bothered. I was a little bummed, but I mean, that was, uh, that's the only persecution I've ever felt for being a Christian. I was saved from harm. Um, we live in a, a Christian world. So here's where I'd say this is where, why it's hard. Some of them, for even naming the name Christian, were persecuted and, and had troubles. You can name the name Christian. I tell people I'm a Christian all the time. It only gives me respect and favor around here. That, that name has become so... Every, most people don't have a problem with Christian. But what Paul said, Peter, uh, Jesus says in Matthew when he says... 
if you are persecuted for my name's sake, have no fear, for that's how they treated the prophets. What did the prophets do? The prophets lived in a context like us, where everybody said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of God. I, I, I go to the temple. I offer my sacrifices. But their hearts were far from him. And what did the prophets do? They went to a people that proclaimed that they knew God, and they clarified to them who God really was what the scriptures really said about God. We live in a context where many people say they know God, but when we really are bold enough to open up the scriptures and say, no, this is who God really is. This is what the gospel really says, that you are a sinner, that you're under God's judgment, and there's only faith in Jesus Christ to come through faith. You're going to receive persecution for that. You're going to muddy the waters for that. That's not the Jesus all of them know. So, Peter is saying to them and to us, in this life, you're going to face all sorts of trouble. Verse 19 sums it up. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust your souls to him, the good creator. So entrust your soul to him. Don't, if, if you, you suffer financial difficulty, entrust your soul to him. If you suffer being ostracized for your faith in him, trust your soul to him. If you suffer sickness or even physical harm, if you suffer the acceptance of others for your faith in him, entrust your soul to him. He is one who doesn't just look out for the next five minutes or the next five weeks or the next five years. He's looking out for you for your entire life. Entrust your soul to him. The next section that we'll talk about next week is about elders. And it's saying, elders, shepherd those among you, the flock among you. Because this is the job of pastors and elders. It is to help sheep who are going to suffer to keep entrusting themselves to God. Because it's hard. And we do that by pointing to the work of Christ Jesus. That gives us the boldness to say, take my body, take my life, but you can't take my soul. Because Christ has purchased that for me. That's what we do. Christ will keep you. Christ will guard you if you are his. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the attentive ears. And um, I pray that you would help us to receive the reality of this truth. For we have tasted the sufferings. I pray that you would actually give us opportunity and the boldness to be like the Old Testament prophets. To be bold even at our own hurt to speak the truth of the real story of Jesus, the real goodness of Jesus, the real power of Jesus, the real exclusiveness of Jesus. For those we know from Scripture who do not have him as their Lord and Savior have no consolation. They only have pain and more to come. But Lord, your grace has provided a way for every man, woman, and child to come to you, bearing all their sins and being able to cast it at your feet, and for you to wash them clean. I pray that we would do that daily in our own lives, and I pray that some would do that for the first time ever. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.